Hello, and thank you again for joining our online service. We are continuing this week to walk through our sermon series from the book of Romans. And this week, we've arrived at chapter 13. We'll be focusing on verses 1 to 7 in particular. And as we do, I think it's important that we remind ourselves yet again, who was the audience for this letter that we now know as the book of Romans? As a refresher, I'll read Romans 1, 7 to 8 to you again. And just for fun, I thought this time I'll read it from the King James Version. It says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It was a letter written to the beloved in Rome, to Christians. And by extension, it is for us as Christians now, part of the beloved. And these words apply to us today just as much as they did to those in Rome. And also remember, the first 11 chapters of Romans are some of the clearest descriptions of Christian doctrine that we have available. And then chapters 12 to 16 are a call for Christians, for us, to align our conduct to our new identity in Christ. Basically, don't copy the patterns of behavior you see in this world from those who don't know Christ, but be transformed into a new person by changing the way we think. Align our thoughts with the mind of Christ. And that includes, as we're about to see today in chapter 13, how we should relate to those in government and in positions of authority. Beginning in chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear from the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for this very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for these same reasons— For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those in authority. You know, are you familiar with the idea of weasel words? Have you ever heard that phrase? I actually worked for a a CEO who listened intently for weasel words. Those are the words we slip into our communication to leverage later to weasel out of accountability. Instead of giving concise, clear responses, we can build in subtle, almost hidden disclaimers. So if we miss a deadline or if we don't follow through on a commitment, we give ourselves a way out by parsing our words just right. Take a very simple example. Imagine someone asked you what time our first service started at church. Instead of just answering that very concisely and simply to say the service starts at 9.15 a.m., I might say instead, well, you know, we're hoping to have the worship team on the stage somewhere after 9, and, you know, we're working out a few bugs in the soundboard, and, you know, the the sermon is mostly ready to go. I I just have a few loose ends to wrap up. Uh Nah-huh, but you 
aren't really answering the question. What time are we starting? I love the fact that Paul starts this section of his letter with a complete lack and absence of weasel words. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. All authority comes from God. Anyone who rebels is rebelling against what God has instituted. Notice he doesn't say, pray to get a sense if God wants you to submit to a particular governmental authority or, you know, submit to righteous, godly leaders in government when they make laws aligned with your interpretation of the Bible. At the same time, however, Paul does not suggest that God approves of a corrupt government, ungodly officials, or an unjust piece of legislation. He steers it quickly in verse 3 back to our conduct as Christians. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. That is a critical principle in the kingdom of God. Each of us is responsible for our own thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors, regardless of the quality of the decisions made by those in authority. No matter what governmental or leadership structure we find ourselves in, sometimes there will be decisions made that are very clearly not God's will. We will always be led on this earth by imperfect people. You know, even when your favorite political party takes office or you take a job with a company that won the the best employer award, it doesn't take long before you begin to see their imperfections. It can be very easy to become disillusioned with a whole system if we put our faith in people rather than keeping our faith in God. We worship God alone, but one of the ways we worship is to honor and submit to governing authorities. Honor means that we celebrate who a person is without tripping over those imperfections. Even if someone has absolutely no discernible godly qualities at all, we can still honor and celebrate that they were created in the image of God. When we see them, we see a glimpse of the Almighty. And our instruction is to submit to the authority God has given to them. Jesus said after his resurrection in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because Jesus has it all, again, there's no weasel words there, it means that there's someone else who has none. Satan has no authority. He tricked it out of Adam and Eve in the garden, and he carried that authority for a season. He tried to trick Jesus the same way in the wilderness of temptation, but Jesus resisted and eventually reclaimed that authority through his death and resurrection. Then he shares that authority with mankind. Anyone who has authority has received it from God. Even amidst people's imperfections and foibles, it doesn't negate the authority that's been given to them. It's a principle that carries over into a godly family structure as well. One of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You want to die young, essentially it's saying? Well then, withhold honor from your parents. Notice again, it doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they're honorable. No, it's a call without conditions. Hang on to that phrase as well, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It has a very specific application that we'll see in just a moment. That principle, though, it applies to marriages as well. 
Ephesians 5 and 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It doesn't say love your wife when she's being lovable. Thankfully, even when we were dead in our sin, completely unlovable by any human standard, Christ gave himself up and died on the cross for our sin. We don't wait until the governing authorities are holy enough to earn our submission. They have been given that authority by God and they will be judged or rewarded for their stewardship of it. We will be judged or rewarded based on our submission and honor that we would give. It's the same principle within the church from James 3 and 1. It says, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. If I lead you astray with some bad theology and you innocently submit to my authority, I'm going to end up judged more harshly for leading you into that sin. Even within the authority structure of the church, one of the qualifications to be an elder is that he must be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3 and 3 says. If I can't demonstrate that I have a grip on the word and the voice of God, then I shouldn't be an elder. But even the most mature elder will be imperfect. The instruction in Romans 13 is to submit to those in authority, knowing full well that they will be imperfect people. Our level of submission is not contingent on the level of holiness of the one with authority. We find an instructive example of this principle in the Old Testament book of Daniel. This young Hebrew man named Daniel was living under the dictatorship of King Nebuchadnezzar during the Babylonian exile. One evening, the king had a dream. None of his magicians or astrologers could interpret it for him. In fact, the the king wouldn't even tell them the details of the dream. They needed to know what he had dreamt and then give the interpretation. Basically, he was saying, tell me what I'm thinking and what it means or I'll kill you. Somehow, in the midst of those ungodly surroundings, Daniel had kept himself pure before the Lord. And when he got word that there was about to be a mass execution because no one could interpret that dream, he stepped up. He said, let me interpret the dream. And God gave him the details of the dream and its interpretation. Giving God the glory, he shared the dream and the interpretation with this essentially demonic king. By chapter 4, Daniel is interpreting another dream, one that included many distressing details about negative things to come to the king. Daniel, you could argue, had every right to celebrate the pain that was about to rain down on this king. But instead, he says in verse 19, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. He gave this godless king such a place of honor that he's wishing the terrible things would happen instead to the king's enemies. Daniel honored this king despite him being totally dishonorable. Now, I'm not sure if your favorite political party is in power in Saskatchewan right now or in the federal government. I don't know your boss at your place of work. I'm not sure which police officers are typically patrolling your neighborhood, but it really doesn't matter. 
There is no provision to weasel out of submission and prayer. If Daniel can find a place of honor for the king, you and I can certainly do the same for those in authority in our lives, regardless of their decisions. Honor and submission are required, regardless of the decisions made by those in authority. Listen, I think we can all think of decisions that have been made by those in authority, in the political realm especially, that we would say, hmm, not that great. Maybe we would go far, so far as to say those decisions were absolute rubbish. You know, we see an example of that sort of scenario in Numbers chapter 13. The children of Israel had exited Egypt and stood at the edge of the promised land of Canaan. This is the connection back to that verse that I read earlier about honoring your father and mother for long life in the land the Lord was given. This is the reference here. This is the land of Canaan that they were being given. In verse 1 of Numbers 13, it says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader, that's an important word, send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. They went out to scout the land for the next 40 days, and they returned to report how gorgeous the promised land was. But only two of those 12 leaders, Joshua and Caleb, were ready to follow God's will and move into the land. They convinced themselves that they shouldn't enter into God's promises because of fear of some things that they had seen in the promised land. You know, you could convince yourselves, I I mean, by natural measures, you know, a a 10 out of 12 vote, you know, 83% of that group said, no, we shouldn't go in. You know, any political party could get behind that kind of an approval rating. But it was the two of the 12 that had the right course of action. They ended up making a horrible decision. Their fear infected the whole community of Israel and it scuttled the whole deal. You know, you read through Numbers chapter 13 and 14, God was absolutely furious. Moses had to talk God out of killing the rebels right there on the spot. You know, Moses, he had this fascinating relationship with God. Half the time, it seemed like he was talking God out of killing the people, and the other half of the time, God was talking him out of killing the people. Moses, we know he eventually ran into some issues uh, of his own with following the commands of God and didn't make it into the promised land. But do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached about the verses from the Mount of Transfiguration? It was Moses that ended up there, appearing with Elijah. I don't know exactly what it sounded like when Moses died and stood before the Lord to give an account for his life, but making it to that mountain to see Jesus transformed sounds like a pretty great reward. But back to his pleading with God. It worked. God relented and didn't kill the people, but he still judged them harshly. The penalty was one year of wandering in the desert for every day that they had scouted Canaan. Can I say to you, If God gives you a promise, don't let someone else's opinion derail you. The dream of your promised land that God puts in your heart, it can turn into a nightmare for a season. Ten people's opinion caused three million people to wander in the desert for 40 years. Don't let someone else's opinion become your reality. Do what God tells you to do, and don't let fear of man dictate how you respond to God. 
Joshua and Caleb somehow kept that dream alive and a purity in their heart. And ultimately, God used Joshua 40 years later to lead the people into the promised land. When we stand before the Lord, when we pass from this life, we will not be judged for the decisions that other people have made. We will be judged or rewarded for our responses to those decisions. Joshua said, nope, I am not going to build my life on fear and dishonor. And he was rewarded accordingly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 13, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is referring to Christians and the decisions we make throughout our lives. Our eternal life is secured once we've made a genuine confession of faith in Christ. But the quality of our lives, including what we bring to the Lord on that day of judgment, is dictated by our decisions, including how we've related to those in authority. Now, if you're like me, it was at this point in uh, my process where I began to have a thought in my mind. And maybe you've got that same thought rising up in your mind. Does this mean that no matter what decisions those in authority make, that I should just go along and give them support, even in the most ungodly decision? Should I obey every command someone in authority gives, even if it seems clear that it would cause me to sin? I think we really need to be careful in our uh, evaluation of those things. Sometimes I think that we can begin to... um, evaluate things, we can give them a a higher place than they they deserve. We can elevate them into uh, persecution when sometimes maybe they're just minor inconveniences that rub us the wrong way, but they haven't really moved to the spot of persecution. But eventually, there may be things that we're instructed to do by those in authority that are obviously sin. How do I honor and submit without compromising and agreeing to sin? How do I remain pure in my thoughts and actions, honoring those in authority while not sinning to do it? That, I would suggest, ladies and gentlemen, is a place of higher maturity. For a great example, we'll go back to the life of Daniel. He's probably most famous for the story of Daniel and the lion's den. By Daniel chapter 6, Darius is the king, and he had been coerced into writing a law. Anyone caught worshiping anyone but him would be thrown into the lion's den. After hearing that law, Daniel, as was his normal routine, went home and prayed to God three times a day with his window open. He would not compromise his worship of God. As a result, he was arrested and thrown into the lion's den. The king was distressed by this because he had a great affection for Daniel. Picking up the story in verse 19, it says, Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Daniel had every opportunity to march out of that lion's den and say to the king, Look at me, 
you dog, I don't have a scratch on me. But instead, he kept an attitude of honor and submission, saying, long live the king. I have not wronged you, your majesty. And he gives God the glory for saving him. Daniel maintains both his purity before God and his submission and honor towards the king. Even amid persecution, it is vital that we maintain our allegiance to Jesus Christ and a place of genuine honor for those in authority. Remember from verse 3 of Romans 13, do what is right and they will honor you. Daniel showed an amazing sense of humility and submission and received a place of honor as a reward. Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. You know, we spoke from Romans 12, not to conform to the patterns of this world, but allow God to transform us by changing the way we think. This world has a distinct pattern of thinking towards politics and those in political office, in government. It is cutthroat. You know, if you watch one cable news network, you'll see people tearing down the politicians who are in power. You watch another channel, uh, and you'll see them devoted to tearing down those people who want to be in power. That political spirit is so easy to get drawn into, and the whole system is built around quarreling and pride. It has gone far beyond a measured debate about ideas. And that dishonoring political spirit is corrupting Christians and churches as well. It is especially evident to me in churches in the U.S. You know, do you hate the, prime, or the, the president? Or do you hate the former president? It's almost like in some churches they've built it into their statement of faith. You hate him? Great, so do we. Come and join our church and we'll hate him together. It's like the culture of maybe like superhero movies has taken root in many Christians. There's a good guy and a bad guy. You point your finger at the politician that you've decided to hate. There's the bad guy. God is so angry at the bad guy. Then we convince ourselves that we're the good guys and devote our lives to slandering those who we're convinced are evil. As Christians, Paul says in Ephesians that our spirits are already seated in heavenly places. From that heavenly position, we can only lift people up. When we begin tearing down, we are living beneath our identity. Our spirit doesn't leave that heavenly place, but our souls, that's our our mind, our will, and our emotions, begin to partner with the systems of this world. And it's amazing how quickly then even the simple things of Christ vanish from our our conduct. We lose track of basic things like loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we think that the way to win is to elevate one person by crucifying another. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. We lose our way if we go down that track including losing track of one of the primary reasons why God leaves us here on this earth after we become Christians. You know, later in Paul's life, after this letter to the Romans, he wrote another letter to a young man he was mentoring named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. That's what Moses did, by the way, with God for the people. He interceded on their behalf. And give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, 
marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Paul was imprisoned for his faith and for preaching the gospel. He was eventually killed for it. He wrote this in the timeline when Nero was the emperor of Rome. It was Nero who tortured Christians, even lighting them on fire to light his dinner parties. But Paul says, amid that nightmare, pray for kings and all in authority. Why? So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then he makes the connection to verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Our prayers and our right relationship with those in authority are a part of the transformation we talked about in Romans 12. People see Christ radiating from us as we're transformed, and that has a supernatural effect on the people around us and somehow contributes to people coming to know the truth. You want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Pray for those in authority and submit to them. How you speak about and how you treat the police or your boss or the prime minister influences people towards accepting Jesus as Lord. If Paul can write those words to pray for kings and those in authority under the tyranny of Nero, if Daniel can say, long live the king to the man who threw him to the lions, and if even Jesus can demonstrate submission to Pontius Pilate, then I'm pretty sure that you and I can submit, honor, and pray as well, even if they make decisions that are less than perfect, even if they raise our taxes or if they are wasteful in their spending in the government sometimes, we can still be honoring. Speaking of our taxes, verse 7 said, Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Did you know that one of the ways we can show honor and submission is to pay our bills on time and to pay people what they're earned? Including the tax department. Do I believe that we should send them more than they need? No. Do I believe that we should bring accountability so that they don't spend beyond our means? Yes, I do believe we should bring accountability. We could have a long conversation about whether taxes are too high or whether we're getting good value for them or whether the whole system needs an overhaul. But whatever the going taxation rate is of our day and our cost of living, part of our worship to God is keeping our bills paid. Honor obviously goes far beyond financial things, but it is an easy way to measure the level of our reverence and respect for those God has put in authority over us. We follow the rules even when we believe that the performance of the government isn't up to the standard of the kingdom of God. If a government official is corrupt, certainly we support the notion of oversight and policing the police and fighting for truth and justice. I am so thankful for many of those who I would know on the police force. I'm thankful for godly people who are on the thin blue line, who I can pray for and believe that they are there because God has put them there. As we close today, I want to leave you with the words from the Apostle Peter. He says in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or governors as sent by him to punish those who are evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity, no matter our circumstances, to still position our heart towards submission and honor, that we would honor people as though we were honoring you, Lord. I just pray that as your spirit just convicts all of our hearts today, Lord, that you would just be right there speaking to us the specific adjustments we need to make in our thinking, God. And it's as easy as confessing where we've gone out of step, Lord, with maybe being critical of those in authority, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that there is always a way back to a right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week.